Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. December 9, 2018, episode 147. Sidebar Edition, Sit Down. Hi everyone and welcome to a sidebar edition of the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. A sidebar is a singular topic episode, and for this edition, I'm going to bring you a few short news and notes for the world of beekeeping around central New Jersey, and then play a recording made at Eastern Apiculture Society, the 2018 conference with Rich Morris and a couple of his friends. Rich, for those that do not know, is the principal guy at Broodminder, and anytime we cross paths, I try to catch up with him and his team to see what they're up to, and that's what you'll hear in their recording I'm going to play a little bit later. Before we get to that, though, I want to talk about a couple newsworthy things that have occurred in the state of New Jersey over the past week since the release of the last episode. If you're a listener of the show, then you know that we beekeepers in New Jersey have had a tenuous time these past few months with our state wrangling in the area of how they're going to govern beekeeping activities in New Jersey. In our last episode, I had mentioned that the revised proposed regulations for governing beekeeping in the state were pending release any moment, and lo and behold, they were released and are now out on the Internet for review. The format of the revised response is interesting is the regulation proposal starts with a comment that the department is proposing a number of substantial changes. Also, not expected, to us at least, is that the document leads with the literal names of the people and organizations that responded to the first proposal with comments to the first draft, which incidentally has been withdrawn now that this new one is out there. In response to the comments that the first proposal elicited, the Department of Agriculture addressed the comments by generalizing them into summary statements and then providing a written response to each summary. They had simply too many comments from individuals to address them directly. So this is, I guess, an option they had in which they could satisfy their obligation to respond to public comment. It somewhat obscures some of the details of the comments submitted by persons such as myself, but I guess from a practical matter it will have to suffice. The fact of the matter is that if a specific comment remains unaddressed and unsatisfied that someone submitted previously, This is a new round of comments that can be submitted, and each individual has the privilege to raise the previous concern if it was unaddressed again. The PDF document continues after the comment responses with a list of clauses, and like the first proposal, this is meant to be an amendment, so some of the areas of the original proposal are not included because they're only going to talk about the amendments. But then they reflect the original, the previous, and revised definitions, processes, and more 
in parallel. And what I mean by this is they have all of the text of the previous, the new, revised, and they try to distinguish the changes in existing clauses, former clauses, and revised clauses, along with referrals and other document procedures by formatting. By formatting, some's in italics, some's in brackets, and so on. It, it reads like a hodgepodge mess, but more on that in a second. The real question is, what did they say? <laughs> How did it turn out? The good news is, on first blush, while the document is really challenging to read and interpret, it looks considerably better for beekeepers than the first one. If the review that we've done and been doing so far is correct, there are much, much better property density restrictions on the number of colonies one can keep, which quite frankly, was the biggest concern for most people with the previous effort. Also, gone are the notification requirements for your neighbors and many of the other onerous stipulations that were in the previous draft. The definitions have been cleaned up, and the fact is, on first read, it's pretty close to what we might have perceived they would have done in the first place, and it actually is really aligned to the guiding principle document that we had, which was guidelines for keeping bees in populated areas. I will say, and it has been recognized, that the document is just even more challenging to read than the first one, which I thought would be hard to do. The first one was more of a complaint that it looked like legalese, and this one, as I said, from the formatting, is even worse. Um, so much so that the New Jersey Beekeepers Association is working to create their own personal draft. Same thing I did with the first one and put it out for beekeepers so that they could read it. It was written like a normal book instead of some sort of legal clause document. And I'm looking forward to them doing that. I'm not going to do it this time since they said they were going to do it. And it should make it easier to review. Now I've discussed what it says with a few from our inner circle. And we all have a similar first impression. It seems workable. And I had a chance to speak to Tim Schuler about some of the inner workings that led to the document as it is and as it was progressing. And it seems to me that while they did not, meaning the Department of Agriculture, consult with Tim directly throughout the entire process, at least as much as I think they should have, they did apparently heed his direction when drafting the outcome and I will say that Tim told me things in confidence that he was trying to support in order to not make the Department of Agriculture look bad. And quite frankly, it ended up much in the way that he disclosed it was going to go. And things that he asked for are written in there in terms which I think Tim had quite a bit of influence on. I think it's a little too early to weigh in on the whole thing. 
I've simply been too busy lately even to read it through from stem to stem yet. Stem to stern? Is that the term? I did go and obviously read the key clauses and honestly I'm happy that the stupid stuff, the impractical stuff that would have put beekeeping in New Jersey so far behind everyone else, it all seems to have been stripped from the regulations. I will of course review it during the proposal period and if it requires comment on it, I'll submit them. I kind of had this thought. When we were against it, we went to our local communities and spoke up. I guess to be fair, if it is practical, and we stand for all that is right in this world, we should return to our local communities and ask them to adopt it if we liked what they came up with. Because ultimately that's good for beekeepers. And it's good to work with the Department of Agriculture, like I said from the outset. We wanted the Department of Agriculture to set fair guidelines for the state of New Jersey, and we want the municipalities to listen what the agriculture group had to say. So yes, we should support it, as long as there's nothing in there that's a problem, right? It also makes me wonder, on the flip side, about the citizen that endured the problem that kicked this whole thing off. I have to assume that she is following this, and I'm curious to know if she will ever turn up now that this has resurfaced. And will she be for or against this revision? I'm pretty sure I know where she's going to be, but I kind of hope that she has seen it and that she's happy with it. And that we all feel like, beekeepers and her alike, in the end we got what we wanted. And yeah, that's a bit of a sentimental notion, and I'm guessing she's not going to see this as the outcome she was looking for. And that's too bad. To be sure, I will come back in time and update the outcome of this on the podcast, and if you're interested in seeing the revised proposed regulations, head to our show note for this episode, and there you will find a link to a PDF that is hosted with the New Jersey Beekeepers Association. Before we get to the main topic, a few other things. At the origin of this podcast... I decreed my intent to record this podcast to keep track of my beekeeping activities, and that is still true. Some days I go back and listen to past episodes, and perhaps in the far-off future I'll come back to this particular episode and revisit what was going on. And I don't want to lose some things going on to the moment in time. So in the spirit of documenting happenings, I'll share that yesterday we had our annual holiday meeting, at the Northwest New Jersey Beekeepers Association. And while all the years of that meeting blend together, it was always a nice affair, and yesterday was no exception. It marks the completion of a milestone for Northwest as Jim McCauley's time as president of the club has come to an end. And I congratulated him on joining the list of past presidents, myself, Bob Kloss, uh, Charlie Ilsley, Scott Horsnall, and others. 
Jim McCauley was my second officer when I was president, and now by tradition he will represent the past president's slot on the executive board, and my obligation as such is fulfilled. I can't say if I'll take the time to ex attend exec meetings as just somebody dropping in going forward, as technically I'm just a plain old member now, and I hold no executive station other than I'm the club's webmaster. I'd be remiss if I didn't say congratulations to my neighbor from literally down the road, Jim Schmalls, as he takes his place as president. You know, it strikes me, I don't know if I actually said something to him yesterday in the meeting, but I'll see him tomorrow morning when we go for a walk. It is a great crew, the Northwesters. They're caring, they're hardworking individual, they work well together, and I'm sure that I will still, of course, remain an active club member, doing activities, going back and forth, and I wish Jim Schmalls, and Jim McCauley for that matter, the best uh, as they carry on the excellent work of our association. At the meeting yesterday, it was a touching moment, as the association bestowed Stan and Fran Wazatowski with the NWNJBA Spirit Award for 2018. It was rewarding to see Stan and Fran receive the honor. And no re you know, the funny thing is, is I'm the one that brought the Spirit Award to the association. I recommended that we do this because I had um, had that tradition in a previous organization that I was involved. And as I was going to say, no disrespect to anybody who's received it prior. I can't think of many others who have simply lived a life in support of apiculture and beekeeping. And it was especially deserving to see Stan and Fran get the award yesterday. So congratulations to both of them. It is a proud moment for Northwest and everybody in attendance. Uh, truly poured their hearts out to the gratitude that Stan and Fran have shown to the club. Okay, uh, it's time to move on to the recorded Broodminder conversation. Uh, okay, hold on. <laughs> I wasn't going to do this, but I feel like it's... I want to share one more piece of news. Since I saw this being shared on Facebook and it's become now public information. I alluded to talking to Tim Schuler recently by phone. Talked to him a couple times and he shared with me in confidence that um, he was looking to retire and put his papers in for the April 2019 time frame. I know, of course, from my trip with Tim to Africa in March and my personal touch points along the way since then that this moment was on the horizon, and it's with mixed blessings that the news has come to be known. I'm not going to get sentimental, not yet, but damn, <laughs> this is going to mean the closing of a chapter in New Jersey beekeeping, and after Tim is out of his post... It just can't be the same. I don't want to allude that it's going to be bad. Time will tell where it goes. But the shoes to be filled are gigantic. And honestly, 
I'm faced with only one wish, and that is not about who's going to take over for Tim, but more for Tim to be able to enjoy his retirement and to get a long and fruitful time to live whatever his pursuits are. He worked hard, and he's faithful, and no one can challenge his commitment to work and family, and people like that deserve to enjoy what they've earned. Now, he's still going to be a commercial beekeeper. He's just simply retiring from his post as the state apiarist. And I hope that he gets to go to Africa in the way that he wants to, and that he and Patty enjoy the new life that's ahead of them. And to say he'll be missed as our apiarist is nothing but a gross overstatement. Okay, now we could turn to our featured topic for the show. Got that off my chest. Sorry, it was a long way to get here, but let me set up the rest of the episode. I'm going to play a recording made during the Eastern Apiculture Society Conference. It's been in the queue, and I'm happy to have finally had the chance to produce it and get it into this program. This is um, part of the scrapped episode that I alluded to in the last episode. It didn't go well, and I re-recorded and left this out. I didn't think it fit well in the mix of the topics and roundtables and decided it was better to come out as a standalone sidebar. As I mentioned, this recording was made at EAS in August, and while I wanted to put it out when it was a little bit fresher, I simply had to delay that because unfortunately it required some pretty extensive editing to produce it and get it to an acceptable recording for the show. The audio quality was troublesome. It required a number of tweaks to clean it up. And I did the best I could with it, and I'll set the scene and add a few caveats before I play it. This was Thursday of EAS. At the end of the day, and everyone was trying to find a spot to speak to Rich Morris at his booth, and I was trying to find him to interview him. Rich Morris from Broodminder and his crew were super busy that week, and this ended up being a very impromptu sidebar. We literally just said, let's gather a few of us in the vendor area. We snuck off to the corner of the room. We sat on some chairs and boxes, put a recorder in the middle of us, and just fired away. There were people milling about, buying things in the vendor area. At one point, One of the conference center guys came in and changed out a trash can next to us, flapping the bags out and everything, making a lot of noise. You'll hear some of that in the mix. Well, let's just say it's a live recording. And I think in the end, if I did things right, it's just going to sound like that, a live recording with all, you know, it's picadillos along the way, but hopefully it's a good quality enough to get through. So with all that disclaimer out of the way, I'll share that it's always fun to catch up with Rich, Theo, and the others, see what they're doing. you also note that Bob Kloss was in on the conversation, too. And I'm going to play it now, and then I'll come back and add a few other thoughts when it finishes up. 
This is from Thursday, August 16, 2018. Let's talk about Mr. Broodwinder. I'm here with Rich and Theo, uh, Peter, and Bob Kloss is sitting in. Let me set the stage. We're sitting in the vendor hall of EAS, the end of the day, and uh, we were all congregating out in the hallway. And Rich, I wanted to talk to you about what you have going on. We were supposed to meet up with you. Back at the winter meeting, and unfortunately, we had an incident. We didn't make it back. And you had just announced a deal last time we talked, so now we could talk about that. Okay, well, the first deal, uh, I think some people know, but uh, Brushy Mountain has become our uh, exclusive distributor in the North America. And so we're excited about that because beyond really liking uh, them and their products and all of that, you know, they get it. They understand that, okay, five years from now, this is going to be pretty standard stuff. But, you know, the process between now and then, you know, we've got to figure out what that is and how we're going to do it. But, you know, they're in it with us, and we like that. I had talked to you on the podcast about use of Broodminder products, and um, you and I had a deal where I was using a cell Mm -hmm. and had a couple picadillos in the beginning, but now it's working, and I'm really enjoying it. I have to say... Uh, I think I said this on the podcast, but I mentioned to you last time I talked to you on the phone that I had an incident where I was at work and I started getting alarms from my video camera that I had on the apiary of motion. And I went and looked at the broodminder sensor and saw the weight drop and realized that I was having a swarm. So I dialed into the camera and watched my bees fly away. And then I went to the broodminder and saw the corresponding how much was the penalty for the drop, right? Right. And uh, I'll tell you, it was such a neat correlation to bring the two technologies together. And um, I've just enjoyed them, you know. Well, that's good. Uh, If you look at our new video, we got a great new video. But on that, uh, one of the people speaking is uh, Sarah Hilt who uh, has been a beekeeper at the place I used to work at BB7. And and she talks about going in every morning, and one of the mornings they went in, and while they were there, they saw the broodminder, saw the swarm happen, and so they went out and actually captured the swarm. And and that was very cool, too. Neat seeing that I was at work. I wish I could have been there. I have no idea what happened to it. Didn't catch a swarm, but uh, you have a new announcement for the show. Uh, have new product coming out. Yeah, so as things have gone on and, you know, we've really enjoyed the last couple of years, and in particular I just have to say we love coming to EAS because I encourage anyone out there to, if they can make it to EAS, of all the meetings and conferences, this is really good. And that's not just sucking up to anybody. But yeah, no, it's it an incredible is. show. It is a good show. It's a little bit of everything for Next everybody. Next year's in South Carolina, I think, and uh, that'll be good. Um, but as we've uh, gone through all this and gotten a lot of feedback, we've sort of come up with one particular thing, you know, to simplify our message, but say, okay, it's not a, and it's never been about the gadget. Um, none of this makes sense unless it gives us actionable data. Right, and I think everybody agrees with that. And so, uh, thinking along those lines, the most actionable data that we've gotten over the last couple of years is, is there brood? And we know as beekeepers, and anyone who's done this, certainly anyone uh, 
working for the master beekeeper uh, certification like my guests here or no i guess i'm the guest aren't yeah. I? our hosts here yeah. and our hosts here uh, but they keep it at 95 and when there's brood it's 95 when there's not brood it follows the outside temperature so along those lines we said you know how can we get this to a point uh where people try it i guess and so we're introducing and we'll start shipping in october a 30 dollar version of our uh, broodminder sensors, which is only temperature, but it works exactly like the others that what you can watch is the brood temperature and through the winter you can see that you know, there's still something alive in there. And you can see those things and we think that a you know, $29.99 price point is, will be a level where people would just give it a try. And if it takes off, that's great. If it doesn't, then that's meant to be. But we don't want price to be the. Yeah. So Bob, you and I, we we obviously make connections all the time, yeah. and we talk about our broodminder temperatures and patterns all the time. It's yeah. not. It's not a novelty. It's a tool, and we've used it this year, making multiple observations. And you're close to me, but you're far enough away that we see different things, and we bounce stuff off of each other. We're sharing our data. Yes. Incidentally, between the two of us, I can see all your sensors and you can see all mine. Mm -hmm. Mine are up on the web, so anybody can see mine when they go to BK Corner. But I wanted to follow up just on what Rich said. And you may not remember this, Rich, but I think it was back in... Oh, I remember exactly what you were going to say. Okay, so this, this was EAS in 2016, I <laughs> two think. Two years ago. Right, yeah. So we were in New Jersey, and uh, I used to get the same thing. People, I would talk to people, oh, I've got these brood miners, i got the scale, i got this, I'm getting this data, I'm getting that data... And the first thing they would say to me is, what does this all mean? Yeah, so yeah. what? What does it mean? What are you getting yeah. out of it? Right. Yeah, okay, you know the temperature, you know the humidity, you know, you know what are you getting out of it? And uh, so I was outside the booth, we were talking together, and somebody came by, and they asked you the same thing. You know, so what are we getting out of this? And I said, let me show you. <laughs> that was a great moment for me. It was, it was. And so you, you pulled up my broodminder, and what happened that year, and this was, you know, just blew my mind. We're watching the temperature all year long, and, you know, the center is above the brood nest. It's not in the brood nest. So the temperature is anywhere from 65 to 75 all winter long. I'm happy. I know my colony is alive. That first week in March, it goes from 75, bing, up over 90, and it just sits there. Right. So what does that tell you? Brood rearing in earnest. Right. Yep. Right. And I knew exactly it was that week that it started. Now, I look for it every year. Kevin, you look for it this I, year. I found it this year. And yeah. then, you know, we the conversation I remember us having is, when should we see drones? Yeah. And then right on time, right on schedule, we started seeing drones. And so we know when possible queen rearing is going to happen and all that other stuff. So, you know, if you what, what made the difference for us is a little more uh, zen on bee biology. And then having that data... Put it all together. Well, even think about what we we super a lot earlier now than we used to. Right. Right. And and why? Because we realize that the bees are ramping up earlier than we thought, and there's forage out there earlier right. than we thought. So what's so, funny, right? You you remember this, and Theo, you could probably chime in on this. We debated when do the bees start the season. Right. We couldn't tell. We used to go out with thermometers, remember, and try and take temperatures from sticking probes in the 
before you guys existed. We had the conversation trying to figure out when does brood rearing start in earnest. Now it's right, not a mystery. Now, now you know it. And I think, you know, the other thing is uh, this this whole, it, 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 it kind of changes the, the mindset because you really need to look at the, at the colony as the animal. And, you know, introducing a, a temperature-only device really introduces a thermometer for the animal. And you stick that thermometer into the animal, and you know if that animal is doing right or not. What does the doctor do when, when you go to Yeah, first that's a thing? good point. The, the doctor says, okay, let me take your temperature to see where you are. Mm-hmm. And we're doing the same thing with this. Well, and the thing, since I've been just watching my own stuff too, is that it makes you think about the process, the bees, differently. Um, and, you know, even brood startup, okay, well, now, okay, we're raising brood. That means we're consuming more energy, more honey. And we, you know, anyone who's done this a while knows that, you know, when a lot of uh, bees die is actually spring. You know, you're clear of the winter, you're clear of the cold, but they starve but because there's no food available. There's no food available, right. brood has started, and they don't have enough reserves to make it that last two weeks before the dandelions come out. Right. Yeah. What's nice about you know the, the uh, thermometer then is you can know that, right? You can know when it is without having a scale to say, wow, I'm, I'm losing weight. Right. They're, yeah. they're consuming stores. You know that when they start rearing up, hey, I better get out there and check a little more often, yeah. make sure they've got enough to eat. Yeah. I, I think of it more from a practical standpoint. One, I better get off my tukas and get my equipment ready because spring is coming. <laughs> and the second thing is, I'll go back. My favorite thing is the scale. Honestly, yeah, right, right. I, I religiously watch the scale. Is it going up? Is it going down? What's going on? But ask me the day that I harvested my honey. I could tell you because the scale shows the depletion of resources taken. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to take notes. I could go back at any given point. So there's intangible things that you know, yeah. kind of like record keeping. So. Well, and that's been fun for me. So I've got two hives this year. I decided I could not do this and take care of five or six hives. So I just said, okay, let's do two. Uh, one, I did a boneheaded thing, and so it's the bad hive. We all fall into the ditch sometimes. <laughs> that's right. But the good hive, uh, you know, I, I put a new package in, and, you know, they started raising brood, and it's it's done great. But from about three weeks Two and a half weeks after I uh, put them in the hive, you know, it's been 95 degrees, plus or minus a degree. So it's it's just been good, and the weight has done what I've expected. So I've left them alone. I I religiously check for mites. Everyone out there, please check for mites. If no matter what you do, you should know your mite load. Um, so once a month I do that, but I don't take the hive apart. I don't try to find the queen. I don't try to look at brood because I know I haven't seen any events and it's there. But then you're uh, um, watching the weight. It's been really fun because uh, we have probably, if I think about my data, four honey flows that I can identify that, okay, here's a week where it went up 10 pounds, 12 pounds, you know, and then nothing for a week. And then, you know, eight days later, it goes up, you know, 15 pounds. Those honey flows become very obvious. And then in July, we had our big one where it's, you know, putting on 10 pounds a day. But it all becomes very clear uh, when you look back on it. And then you start thinking differently again 
about, oh, well, those must be the locusts. Those must That's be. what I was saying. Then once yeah. you have that data, you say, okay, what was blooming? You become more observant. Right. And you go, okay, like in my area, all right, now it's the milkweed, and they're all over the milkweed, and bang, you get that little little spike. And then Kevin didn't, didn't see it, so he's saying, well, what's different forage-wise? Because we know the weather's the same right. or those sorts of things. So I, I'll tell you what, what <clears throat> also was an impression for me this year. We had a strange spring. Mm-hmm. And we go, yeah. you know, we go through the same routine. This is my 10th year keeping bees. We know this date is the date. But this year, it was cold, 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 cold. So we were left without our typical markers and wondering when things were going to kick off. And then they kicked off. And what happened was when they kicked off, because it was so cold and then it got warm, compressed. it compressed, and, man, they took off really quickly. And yeah. having that trigger was like having a head start. It really made a difference because we didn't have our typical markers, right? And the beekeeping season came on. And typically what we see is the beekeeping season comes on around when the forsythia bloomed. Mm-hmm. The forsythia bloomed and it was still cold. Yeah. And then when it finally got warm enough, man, things took off. And the broodminders, they decoupled that mystery. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing is, so we know we started late this year, right? And we've had a lot of rain in New Jersey. We've had a really, really wet spring. Still getting it. Yeah, spring and summer. So we've had a good flow. Once it started, boy, it just, it just banged in. And, you know, typically our flow ends around beginning of July, maybe if we're lucky, middle of July. So we're all saying, yeah, this this is good. Maybe we'll get a couple more weeks out of it. Um, But you can now look at the scale, and the scale doesn't lie, right? Right. So it It says, guess what? We're in the third week of July, and I'm still gaining weight, Yeah. okay? So you're looking around, you're saying, I don't know what's in bloom. I thought everything was gone, but there is something out there because the scale doesn't lie. And so sure enough, we started late, but we went longer. And we're anticipating a really, really awesome fall flow because of all the rain. Um, can I hijack this a little bit? Um, because I think it's yeah, really, let's turn. Go ahead. really <laughs> interesting. Uh, well, so uh, this spring, I think it was, um, Theo came to Virginia Beach and gave a talk. Uh, and I'll let him explain it, but it, it's just... Also, what, what happened you here? Guys, you guys gave two talks it here. Was, it yeah, was, it was an inter- we missed those because we were testing. So it was an interesting that. experience yeah. because I was I was contacted by by Rick Fisher, um, who runs the Beekeepers Guild of Southeast Virginia, and uh, and he said I lost my speaker. Can I please ask you if you could come down and, and just give a, give a speech? And I said sure, you know, no problem. And it just so happened the following week uh, there, there was an opening, and I didn't have an opening later, but it just fitted perfectly. And I said, I would really like to look at some of the data from your, uh, from your club members and, and tell, tell your club members during that meeting what I see. And it happened that <coughs> five of those members had broomhander equipment, and everything's on the on the website so I could go through their data and prepare the pre- pre- presentation. I went there and um, an hour long you know, discussion about everything and I put these charts up on the, on the screen. We had a perfect you know, auditorium in a, in, a, in a high school that was really awesome with a huge overhead screen and you could, you could really see everything. 
And I went through this and I said, look, here, here is what you did and here is what, 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 uh, what happened when you, when you took that hive apart and killed the queen. And three weeks later, the hive went broodless. And, and then you had a stressor and you probably got robbing and you had this and you had that. And they all looked at me and said, this is frigging scary because, <laughs> <laughs> because you, you, yeah. you pretty much nailed it mm -hmm. based on the date. And I didn't have confirmation before the meeting with any of them mm -hmm. to say, you know, is this really what happened? Yeah. And, and, it, and it happens over and over. I mean, we had this, this incident with, with, with Gerhardt in, in California. Same yeah. thing. You know, when we said, okay, well, you know, we, we think you killed the queen during an inspection. And he said, you're not quite right, but you're very, very close. I split the hive at that time, uh -huh. you know, yeah. but it's the same thing, you know. But these are the things that are, I guess, encouraging to us that, you know, press forward. And if a person can interpret this and look at these squiggles and wiggles and all that and say, you know, this is what I believe happened and get it reinforced. And you say, okay, we can teach a machine to do that. Right. We have to mm -hmm. grab the data. We have to get enough yeah. and make sure it's not just, uh, you know, coincidental or this, you know, and the future for this, we think, you know, there is a future, I guess, because someone like Theo can look at it and say, here's what happened. And they say, Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, let's go back and, and, and talk about EAS and let's talk about last Monday. Yeah. Where, where Frank Linton pulled together a, a hive monitoring track and had everybody that is in this, uh, in this arena uh, pre presenting. We met each other and it was a wonderful experience. It I was. think Frank did an, an, an absolute outstanding job pulling this together. And for those that had a chance to participate, we were envious because yeah. that entire track looked amazing all day really long. Good. Nothing but hive monitoring, and and you guys were. Yeah, I agree. I wish we could. Arnia and Solution B and Eyes on Hives, and you know all these people were there, and we've had a great time. We uh, actually got together Sunday night, mm -hmm. um, had some beers, and and talked to each other. And but it, you know, it's not a competition. It's really okay. We want something to happen. We want to right. figure out. What is actionable data? We don't want to do this just for the sake well, of doing and, and it. And that was the that was the night Frank made a statement. He said he sees um, hive monitoring being the norm rather than, than than the exception in five years from now. That people adopt this technology and they they they, they really think, okay, if I don't do this, I'm kind of flying blind. Yeah. yeah. So there was a comment that you made earlier, Rich, that I I would like to second. And that's it, that is by using the data, using the temperature and the humidity and the changes in weight, I don't have to go in my hives. Right. I have a couple of hives at home that I haven't been down into the brood box in two or three years. One of them is my best honey producer, gives me three mm -hmm. boxes a year, and I don't need to go down there because I know what's happening between my observations at the front of the hive and what I'm seeing on my brood minders. And, and I think that, you know, that's great. You don't want to go in there. To me, the brood nest is sacred. And the less you have to go in there and stir things up, the better. Right. If you don't need to, if you do need to, you do you it. You go, yes. The, yeah. um, so John Evans at uh, the Portland office of Brushy Mountain, and I have spent a lot of time talking about exactly that. And just, you know, the level of inspection, you know, bees don't like it. 
you know, you shouldn't do it just for the fun of finding the queen. It, it's very we, we rewarding. We saw the data and studying of how much it sets a hive back yeah. to put things right again after you open the hive. Right. So we've started thinking about this more, and we are uh, really uh, love the Healthy Colonies Checklist. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, Dick Rogers uh, came up with this, and uh, we've incorporated it into our software. But it's basically saying, okay, if you're going to have, uh, and this is just a way of keeping hive notes and everything else, but he breaks it down into six categories. And I had a beer here as we're sitting, so I'm not sure I can come up with all those. But, it, you know, it starts at, you know, and it's just yes, no, or I need to come back. Um, brood, do you have brood? All stages of brood. Uh, yes, no, I'm not sure. Uh, do you have a one-year-old queen or less? Yes, no. Uh, do you have enough forage or, you know, either forage or food stores? Do you have stressors? Do you have, I forget the other two, but it's a very simple way. But when you start framing all of this in that, then you start saying, okay, well, if I can get information to fill what I need to know, you know, and, you know, just starting at the top, well, do I have brood? Boy, that's easy. Yeah. Is it 95? Has it been stable? Right. You know, are you losing it? Okay, well, you know, do I have... But framing all of this hive monitoring stuff really towards, okay, how does it affect our inspections? How does it affect our maintenance and uh, animal husbandry? Your hive, ma your hive management. Right. How does it yeah. affect your hive management, right. right? Yeah. It's not a gadget. If it no. is a gadget, no. that's great. It, it's yeah. a tool. Let it go. Right. But it's, it's a, tool. a tool. Yeah. Yeah. So where are you guys going? You have this... Uh, Talk about your catalog of, of things. You and I were talking about the cell and, and your new product. Well, and so, you know, we're trying to develop an ecosystem, of course, um, you know, and try to keep the barrier entry as low as we can. So uh, this $30 temperature-only probe, you know, that sticks and gives us all this information is you know, sort of the bottom of it, and then temperature and humidity, uh, hive weight, all of them are wireless and run on batteries and and all of that stuff. Uh, then we have a uh, hub, which if you, uh, either, you know, need to or want to or whatever, watch it 24-7. Uh, of course, all of us have it because <laughs> we feel the need. Uh, then it can send it to a cell tower or to a Wi-Fi uh, hub. Um, we'd still love to have a mite detector. <laughs> I think that'd be great, but it yeah. doesn't exist. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's it for now, and we're trying to make it as consumer-friendly as possible because, again, at the end of the day, we want this big pile of data, and we know we're not going to get it from the engineers and scientists. We need to get it from the beekeepers, from the apiarists, from the uh, master gardeners, uh, in my video, I say from my mom, from people who are not... Uh, maybe facile with technology, but you know they're great beekeepers and all of that. So that's our big focus: is to make sure that we, you know, support people and you know get you know data into this. Uh, the data is out there. Org. right? Beecounted.org. The data is out there. Be informed is using it. Be and, informed and is using it. So is NASA. 
Uh, they just did a pilot program yep. in Massachusetts that they're going to expand. Um, so even if you put these out there and you're not, you know, actively watching them, you have them passively, you're still contributing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Reg Edmonds, there's a, a number of people um, out there who are doing it just for that purpose to contribute to the to the community. Richard, uh, <clears throat> question: Any um, any ideas about uh, adding something uh, that picks up sound and trying to interpret? by the sound of the hive, things that are going on, or is that not really on the radar right now? The engineer in me <laughs> <laughs> says absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, you know, the product designer in me resists that temptation. Okay. Uh -huh. um, it's really fascinating. I, I have a buzz box uh, that I just got because I'm fascinated by it. I'm actually, a, a, I've done ultra, medical ultrasound for a lot of years. And so that fascinating. Okay. Another guy had a uh, Doppler radar thing that he showed on Monday. Yeah. Um, so there is a lot. You know, I have that personal interest. What was he? Was he doing B counts at the entrance with that, or what was he doing yeah, with it? Yeah. Yeah. He was. He took a uh, automotive um, backup sensor. Backup sensor. Uh huh. Yeah. And you know, watching and you know, seeing you know, so you get a number for like the cluster. And are they coming and going and all that sort of wow. stuff? Yeah, it was pretty fast. There's a lot of fascinating things, and Monday sort of showed us a lot of really interesting scientific questions. But we're trying to stay focused on okay, what's practical and what takes us to something that it provides an ROI in a commercial sense. Yeah, um, I, I could speak on that return on investment, right? And we use the terminology, and I've used it on the show. You're past the minimal viable product, mm -hmm. but you still have to give a product that you ship in is reliable, people could use, it does the connectivity right, and all that other stuff. And, you know, you want to venture in, but you need to move at a pace that makes enough sense that you don't exceed the research that you could do, right? Well, and the other thing is I'm a systems engineer. I'm an electrical engineer turned into systems engineer over the years, but the system includes people. And that's what a lot of folks miss is that the system includes the beekeeper. Right. Mm. And, you know, we have to train our uh, compatriots how to deal with data. Yeah. You know, this is not a crowd that is necessarily, you know, familiar or happy with data. I talked about my brother who's a farmer. He hates computers. He hates technology. I mean, he's he likes me okay, uh, but his yeah, are, tractors, you sure, are you sure of that? Well, <laughs> thanks for bringing that up, Bob. <laughs> but his tractors are loaded with it because of one reason, because it provides a value. It makes better decisions. Yeah. It, he makes better decisions with it. Yeah. And, you know, that's our real goal. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of Broodminder, in my mind, is that it's priced – for the for anybody you know and, and i know you've worked hard to keep that price point down to where it is but you know for what you're getting for what you're spending it's you know it's a, it's accessible to small beekeepers medium sideliners whatever and I, I think that's really important and i know you strive to you know keep keep the product in in there so well from the get-go our target audience that's one of the requirements yeah yeah. yeah. So. Yep. I, I like the fact that 
from a dial tone standpoint, anybody, it's approachable. Anybody who knows nothing about it can put it in their hives and see immediate results. And then the people who want to geek out to the fullest extent, the same product serves a need. That, we, that's we can, unusual. We can support them. Right? <laughs> yes. That's unusual for, for a product, right? Because sometimes things are so off the scale complicated. I've seen some things walking around in today. <laughs> we see some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, there's there. neat stuff in here, but you have to be like a PhD <laughs> to use it, right? Yeah. And that, yeah. that's not the case. Well, listen, it's been it's been great catching yeah, up. It's always advice. great. Uh, you know, like we seem to be on something like a six-month cycle. <laughs> um, I always appreciate you guys take the time to, to come and talk to us. And tell I you always love hearing about the and, Citizen Hive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I said to my wife, uh, sorry, but I'm going to spend some money. I'm going to come home with more sensors and, and stuff. <laughs> And she right. said, I'm changing the locks yeah, I'm changing on the lock. <laughs> I'm canceling uh, she, the credit card. Yeah. So that's just a No, no I, I appreciate, uh, I, well, I, I won't, I'm tempted to use the word enthusiasm, but I, I appreciate the, uh, you know, thought behind it. And, you know, we're, we're really working hard not to oversell or, you know, promise things. Five years from now, we'll know a lot more. You know, right now it's still a uh, act of faith, but we're pretty sure yeah, we're going to get there. We, we yeah, started I mean, in 2015, and I think it's it's not even three years later. Yeah, and, and we've I got think 10, we've, we've come a long way. Yeah, we've come a long way. Yeah. yeah, and I don't I don't do commercials, sponsorships <laughs> for the program, but when I use people's products, I I'm happy to check in with them and see how you guys are doing. And we followed you guys from the beginning yeah. mm -hmm. and have really enjoyed watching your progress and your growth and, you know, the stabilization. Because there was a time, I don't know how you guys felt, but everybody wondered whether it was something. There was two two factors to this. One, it's hard to start a company. Mm -hmm. I'm telling, I'm looking at you. Kind of, <laughs> telling him something <laughs> he doesn't know already. And the other side is. Do the beekeepers care about this? Right. And I think yeah. they voted. They're, yeah. they're interested. I walk past your booth and want to say hello to you, and there's five people in the way. So I, I, I think I, that's great. I remember when you called me and you said, I brought one of these broodminder yeah. things. <laughs> you remember that? I brought one of these broodminder things. It was on uh, you know one of the GoFundMe pages or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. And uh, he said, you got to check it out. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so sure me, right? Right in there. And uh yeah, we've, we've been in it for a long time. Yeah, so we feel like we've been on the journey with you and, and uh, again, you know, just root you on and wish you the best. And and the recording died right there. Um, what we had said is wish you the best and thanks. <laughs> and we made our closure. And uh, one of the things that happened that afternoon is we left there and went to go to the Thursday night dinner. And Rich and Theo and... Others were standing behind us, and we were walking up to get an adult beverage. And while talking to Rich in line, someone in front of us heard us, heard Bob and I, and turned around and said, Hey, you're Kevin England, I know you. I've heard your voice. And he bought us a round of drinks. So you know you've made it when someone does that. Bob was so excited. <laughs> so excited that someone actually would, would do that for us, but... Anyway, as a, as a final uh, footnote to the interview you just listened to, of course, life moves on, and many interesting things have happened since we sat down on that day. Uh, we spoke of Brushy becoming a partner with Rich, and then 
As it came to pass, Brushy has ceased operations for the time being, and it's yet to be said what will be their fate. For now, it looks like Brushy is out of business, but as I said before, time will tell if something changes and somehow they are reconstituted. And I'm really hoping for that as I liked Brushy Mountain. I wanted to say on Broodminder's behalf, they're still plugging away, of course. You still have time to go to Broodminder.com and place an order for the new year. And they did successfully launch the new product sensor that was spoken about. And in fact, I saw some yesterday at our holiday party as a beekeeper graciously donated two that they bought for door prizes. I spent a small window of time in the garage today, this afternoon, getting things organized. And I came across the bag of batteries that I purchased to refresh my broodminder devices. But alas, I did not get out into the bee yard. I had to get things uh, sorted out. Sorry, Rich, if you're listening for being such a delinquent. (laughs) I'll share that I had to spend a little time getting my truck fixed, as I mentioned in the last episode as it was DOA in the driveway, and I couldn't leave it there in that status. I thrashed to get it back in operational condition, and it wasn't until today that I got back into the garage to literally put my tools away from the work that I did to fix it. It seems every block of time is planned out through New Year's, but every once in a while I sneak in beekeeping activities, and somewhere along the line... I'll get out in the yard and properly replace my batteries. I suppose I can end the episode with a nod to the fact that I was able to take Groove to the beekeepers meeting. Groove is the name that I've given my pickup. And I have historic plates on it with the moniker to mark the occasion. I recently had my cousin do some mechanical work. That was a little above my expertise. He put the muffler on it and he welded it, which I don't know how to weld. And everything everything with it is uh, just totally awesome. It was cool to attend the beekeepers meeting while going in style yesterday. The final word, happy birthday to my son Brian. He turns 19 this week and I'm wishing him good times. Yeah. Oh, to be 19 again. Like our beloved bees, when beekeepers go together, we accomplish great things. Thanks for listening, everyone, and be well.